Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Rex is coming to you live from Scotland right over his left shoulder. Yes, that is the 18th green at Gull number 2. Fantastic golf course. He can't wait to share his travel nightmare with you. Uh, but first, it was a very wild day on C-SPAN with an occasionally yes. maddening good cop, bad cop routine between Senators Ro- uh, Blumenthal and Johnson during a nearly three-hour hearing for the Permit Subcommittee on Investigations. But, perhaps more importantly, there was a 275-page document dump basically detailing the negotiations that led to the definitive agreement between the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia that was announced on June 6. Rex, you were apparently not geo-blocked from listening in on the hearing despite being 3,500 miles away. What was your big takeaway? 3,500 miles, 30,000 feet in the air. I actually listened to, not all of it because it lasted nearly three hours, but a, a good portion of the hearing on the flight from Paris to Edinburgh. We'll get into all the flight stuff later. Listen to the, the second half of it on my drive from Edinburgh to, to Gullen. So there, there was a lot going on, but I did get the, the gist of it. I guess my biggest takeaway, and I was just kind of reaching out, texting some players, seeing w- what their reaction is. Were they, were they sitting of, down for the whole three-hour thing, Rex? No, but I will tell you this, that I was pretty surprised that t- two of the five players that I reached out got t- back to me immediately and said that, yep, we'd seen it, and this was our take. And w- it was interesting. I think they were very supportive of what Jimmy Dunn and, and, uh, and Ron Price sort of laid out. Like, look, this is, and I think Jimmy Dunn's line that I kept coming back to, which I thought was interesting, was sunshine is a great disinfectant. So the more and more people find out about this, and the more and more people find out of how how, how much trouble the tour was in for Jimmy Dunn to make a comment like the way they were picking off players and the five tour years. lit or the live lit us on fire. Yes. One of the most memorable sound bites. I mean, uh, for him to lay it out like that, you start getting an idea that number one, I, I think that there was a, a real concern there. And once you start digging through those documents and it was what, 260 something pages. So I'm only kind of uh, halfway there, but once you start digging through those documents, you get an idea of how aggressively, the PIF and Yasser and that side came at the tour. They came at them with fully baked, fully fledged ideas of, okay, Rory and Tiger are going to own a team and we're going to get the LPGA involved and it's going to be 10 events and then we're going to have a big, big finish. They didn't come with sort of just as what we, what we're dealing with now, what we're talking about now, which is a framework agreement. I mean, Piff came to Jimmy Dunn and the PGA tour and Ed Hurley with just a fully cooked. This is what we absolutely want, which in my mind is interesting going forward because it sounds to me as if the policy board has already kind of been given something closer to whatever's going to be the final version, and we haven't heard much reaction of that. I wanted to look up the exact quote from Jimmy Dunn. If they take five players a year in five years, they can gut us. That was a direct quote from Jimmy Dunn, and I think from a player's perspective, from a fan perspective, I think that opens a lot of eyes. Yeah, some of the most salacious stuff that came out wasn't necessarily during the hearing, but it was in deep in that document dump. And there was a memo uh, titled, quote, Best of Both Worlds, which was essentially a proposal from the PIF side that included some pretty farcical ideas, Rex. You mentioned Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy taking ownership of separate live teams, each of them playing 10 10 live events a year. Obviously, Tiger Woods can't even play three or four major championships in a year. Among the other proposals included in the memo, there was a, a mixed-gender live-style team event. They'd be qualifying in Saudi Arabia. 
concluding in Dubai. They'd be getting uh, uh, world ranking points to to live, uh, including retroactively. Uh, PIF or Aramco, uh, the uh, oil sponsor, would be sponsoring two elevated events in the PGA Tour. One of those would be in Saudi Arabia. And yes, Yasser Aramayan will receive membership to Augusta National. It's a, it's important to note, Rex, that these that these are are are, are were, were mere proposals from the PIF side. Obviously, they were not included in the framework agreement that was announced to the public on June 6th. But potentially, I guess that they, they could be part of the definitive agreement uh, if and when that is determined by December 31st. What's, what's the, what was the goal here, if, if you're the PIV? Was it just to see what the tour would agree to? Would it be to lay out what their plan is? Like it, some of this stuff is like pie-in-the-sky stuff. Like Tiger Woods playing 10 live events 10 events, year. come on, he's not going to do it. Right, but like, what's what's the goal that you would see from the PIF side for even kind of having that during the negotiations? Well, if you look at the timeline, and I was just kind of glancing over it, so the, the first known contact, which I think it's funny how they put it that way, uh, was in early April, and that was when Jimmy Dunn finally went to London and met with the governor of the PIF as well as some other financial folks. From there, it seems like PIF just started throwing things against the wall. Because at that point, and this was sort of arranged, it seems to me, reading that document, through an intermediary, someone here, someone in the UK, sort of reached out to Jimmy Dunn and wanted to try to get the two together. And I had heard, and, and I'm, not even, I'm not even kind of circling back around and pretending I knew any of this was going to happen. I had heard rumblings as early as the Honda Classic, early in the Florida Swing, that Jimmy Dunn, who had just been named to the PGA Tour Policy Board, was going to play peacekeeper. That he was going to be the conduit between, my understanding was, players who wanted to come back not necessarily some sort of merger or some sort of agreement between the two not a merger not a merger i i i could, I could just see ron price and jimmy dunn cringing every single time one of the senators jimmy dunn did merger. not was not a fan of the rollout he called it he called it terrible i believe was his language not good i mean it was it was bungled from the start there was the press release that called it a merger. There was the cringeworthy CNBC interview, uh, which if, if you go deep in this document, they call it a, quote, softball segment on CNBC uh, when, the, when the two were, were, were paired together. Everything from the jump got this agreement off on a bad foot. And then Jimmy Jun uh, made that very clear under oath today on Capitol Hill. But to go back to your original assessment, I, I think – what, what happened here is that they, they needed the door open. They just needed to get in the same room. And I'm talking about the PIF, the governor. And this was their way to doing it, of doing it. I mean, Jimmy Dunn, if anyone was going to be able to accomplish this, Jimmy Dunn was the perfect person. If anybody listened to the, you know, the hearing today, you heard how passionate he is about 9-11. I think the number is he lost 40% of his firm that day in that attack. And I mean, every single t- time I've heard him talk about it now, it's genuine emotion. Those aren't crocodile tears i mean he legitimately has a hard time hearkening back to that day and how difficult it was for he and his family so for him to be the one that sat down for him to be the one that was willing to sit down and try to broker some sort of peace is significant and there's also the idea that i think from piss point of view whatever conversation they could get started was going to lead to something like this so yes they were going to show up with all of these farcical ideas i'm curious like the only way we were ever going to know if Yasser gets that membership, is he, if we see him under the tree with the green jacket on, right? That's, I mean, they're not going to announce that. That'd be the goal. Next April, April 2024, if Yasser is underneath 
the big oak tree with a green jacket. Uh, he will have successfully. He would he had, he would have poured billions of dollars into disrupting golf, uh, but he would have gotten the green jacket that he had coveted all along. So I, the the Tiger and Rory stuff obviously was a salacious news that's already made headlines. Uh, it's it's important to note that was never part of the uh, framework agreement. Uh, it, it it seems incredibly unlikely that that scenario would ever come to pass. However, that was at least in. Uh, this document up the second part Rex, uh, which has made headlines, which I also thought was interesting was that there was kind of this side agreement that was uh, discussed ahead of the announcement, but the side agreement was never executed in which Greg Norman would be replaced as live golf CEO and Senator Blumenthal actually uh, followed up. Thankfully about two hours into this hearing, we're waiting for him to finally button up, this point. That was a good one. Um, and, and Ron Price, the, the COO of the PG Tour, said, under the framework agreement, if we are able to move the definitive agreement, the Live Golf assets for which Greg Norman is the commissioner will move into a new subsidiary controlled by the PGA Tour. And so those events will be managed by the PGA Tour. And so, quote, it would make no sense to bring in that type of executive, meaning Greg Norman would be out of a job as commissioner or CEO of Live Golf, could potentially be part uh, of some sort of advisory role with the PIF, as was mentioned in the documents, uh, Jay Monahan's talking points on June 4th. That should not be a surprise to anyone. He was not mentioned in the framework agreement. He's kind of been silenced uh, over the past five weeks since this agreement was announced. But there has been at least some conversations on the live golf side. Greg Norman's been a part of meetings. He's been seen photographed with Yasser, uh, driving the golf cart for him. Um, is, is he... Is he finally being marginalized? Is he being kept in the loop on this? Do you think there's an end game here? What's what what's your what's your read on this, Rex? Because he's he still seems very much a part of the live golf dealings, uh, but it but it also in the, in the same sense seems that the that the PIF could be uh, ready to uh, dispose of him as well. Uh, to your point, it seemed like it was nearly three hours of senators just wanting to hear themselves talk, and we don't do this very often. But- yeah, yeah, a lot of carnival barking. And so we don't do this very often. So I guess this is what we should have expected. The one thing that stood out, well, there was two things that stood out. That one where, I mean, the senators actually pressed Ron Price for. So what you're telling me is that if framework becomes definitive, we come up with some sort of new co, we pull up all these assets together, what happens to Greg? And the fact that he kept wrestling with him until he finally got the, <laughs> well, there would, be no, there would be no need for that position was the very polite way that, that he put it. And then I, I think there were, at least in my mind, it was kind of a quiet hush because that was a quiet thing out loud. I think all along people have thought, okay, this is going to be some sort of agreement that creates a version of Live Golf, but not Live Golf. And that means that Greg Norman will have to move on. Now, internally, from that side, I've heard different things. I mean, I think on the Live Golf side, there's a level of confidence after really the last couple of weeks where Yasser had been kind of outspoken with the idea that, no, 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 we're in this to stay. Greg had been kind of outspoken. It seemed like they'd both gotten on the same page. To hear that today in a hearing like this in such a public format, it was mind-blowing to me. And the other question that actually stood out to me was... But but keep in in mind, Rex, that was never part of the framework agreement and and two PIF officials told the Washington Post in the story that that broke this document dump that they, they, they rebuffed the tour's proposal to have Greg Norman removed. And so uh, I guess that's still TBD in a sense, right? Like it, it, I'm not sure that would be a uh, kind of a deal breaker come December 31st, uh, but it does seem like there's just not, 
that particular role, but I guess he could be uh, in sort of an advisory role with the PIF. That, w- that would not actually surprise me. He could be. And look, the agreement calls for all of the for-profit assets from these three organizations, right? So what you would be talking about is you'd be talking about the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and PIF, and, but the only golf assets that they have is going to be Live Golf. However, not once in the document does it say Live Golf. It says that the, team will, it says that the tour will explore a team concept. But it never says that we'll look into how we get the how we get live golf under one umbrella. And so I think there's still Empirical some review. room. Yes. But again, it never mentions live golf per, by name. You would imagine that the fact that these players are going to be part of the same organization, that it would be a version of this. But they never go out on a limb and say that. And the other thing that stood out to me, and this is kind of inside baseball stuff, but I'd had people sort of whisper it to me. Ed Hurley, who's the PGA Tour Policy Board member, who also, along with Jimmy Dunn, negotiated this deal. His law firm apparently is the one that kind of signed the deal on it. That's normally not that big of a deal, but it seems to me the senators got caught up on that one really hard. Uh, perhaps understandably so, because right, there would be financial interest. Jimmy Dunn, of course, uh, who, who spoke today, one of the two witnesses for the PGA Tour, said he had no financial interest, uh, and he uh, went to pains to say so. A, a couple of takeaways... For me, Rex, big picture, listening to this for three hours, pouring over the documents. We obviously knew this, um, and the PG Tour has reiterated this over the past five weeks. This is a framework deal, nothing more. They went to paint, understandably so, to say that nothing has been agreed to here. All they've done is agreed to drop the litigation uh, in the framework agreement. It says the PG Tour uh, will have control and manage the events. And other than that, it was basically an agreement to say that they're going to talk in good faith before December 31st and try to hammer something out. I think it was, it was, it was interesting to hear so many times if and when we can reach an agreement, if and when uh, we can come to terms with the Saudis. Uh, I, they, they, they said that over and over again. Also, I think it was hammered home for me that the tour has so much more to lose here than the PIF does. Because if the PJ Tour cannot reach a deal, that is a massive loss. They've, they've admitted publicly that Liv is an existential threat, that they could not survive, that they could not survive a long-term battle with the PIF, that this is, this is unsustainable, that if they lose five stars a year, uh, that would absolutely gut the tour, that Liv has, quote, set us on fire. Plus, they've already signaled that it's okay to accept Saudi money. The tour is planning on doing that now with the PIF, as a minority investor, what's to stop the flood of defection and the defection of stars on the PGA tour who were just alienated and blindsided by tour management. So if, if the tour cannot come to an agreement with the PIF, that's a, it's, 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 it's okay for them, for the size. They would just continue pouring money into love golf as they, as they would, they could resume the uh, recruitment of PGA tour players, but for the tour, Sure, you could get outside investors, you could get private equity involved here, but you still can't match the $750 billion war chest that, that, that PIF has, and you'd continue these, these warring sides. You'd, you'd be back in the same position competing against a bottomless pit. You'd just have the, the litigation drop. I think it's, it's a massive risk for the PGA Tour, and they absolutely have to make this deal. I don't know that they absolutely have to because I don't think they're going to be able to accept a bad deal because as as it was explained at length today I mean the the framework agreement had to be had to be agreed to 
in private because they, the lawsuit was involved and there were things that they couldn't disclose. This one goes out in front of the whole world, essentially the policy boards. You've got five players, you've got five independent directors. The PAC's going to get involved and start hearing proposals here soon. They're not, the players aren't going to accept a bad deal. I mean, if, if suddenly you come back and something has changed dramatically and they don't like what they're hearing, I will tell you up to this point, I think they that the players are at least in, in uh, let's call it a soft agreement to what this could possibly become. If you actually turn that around, then no, I don't think the players are going to agree to that. To your point, though, yes, it doesn't go well for the tour because there is no motivation anymore to stay loyal. There's no more motivation to do the right thing, to be on the right side of history, whatever line you want to pull from the last year and a half. There's no reason to do that anymore. Now, you can go to, from the tour's perspective, and say that, okay, they got rid of the lawsuit. That, that's one good one. And they, in theory, they're going to get an influx of money, a lot of money, which is also a good one. And in, North in, of $1 billion is what CEO Ron Price said. And look, they're trying to change this narrative because this, is, this was part of the poor rollout that Jimmy Dunn referred to today. They will maintain control. And I, bet I heard Ron Price say that in the, at three hours about a billion times because that's what they need to hammer home, that they, the way this is going to be structured, they will have control of that board of whatever NUCO is going to become. Now, the governor will be the chairman, and he, his voice will obviously carry a long way. Money talks. But money does talk. And if he's going to be pulling – now, th- he's a minority investor. And I think from the tourist perspective, you can make an argument that the PIF is a minority investor in Uber. Like I, no one's sitting here having these same conversations about Uber. So on that front, I can see how, yes, that this is just things that happen in business. The problem is this is an American institution. And I think the, the one interesting thing I heard from senators today is this opens the door to so many other things. Like what's to stop the PIF from trying to buy an NFL team now? I mean, it's, we would shake our head and say it's never going to happen, but they, they have Premier League teams, and now and they certainly have the money for it. So it does create an interesting option. Yeah, this is this is bigger than golf. Uh, that was part of Senator Blumenthal's opening statement. Uh, he does anticipate more hearings. Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, back uh, in his capacity as commissioner on July 17th, having recovered from his medical issue. I think it's also worth pointing out that Congress can't actually stop this deal from happening. All they can do is put powerful people uh, in uncomfortable positions and ask some pointed questions, but he did promise more hearings up ahead. It did, it did kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth, Rex, not just the bad questions about PJ tour China or the, the rambling story about how one of the senators shot like 217 uh, in a round of golf, but, but this, this deal needs to be hammered out in private not in a public setting and, and three hour hearings uh, for which these PGA tour witnesses need to uh, prepare for because you're under oath uh, and obviously receiving a, a kind of a, a public flogging of sorts. Like that's, that's taking time away from what could be used productively uh, to actually make the best deal. Uh, and so I don't, I don't know, that kind of left a, a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know about you. Like these things should be handled in private and not necessarily for the, for the world to hear. Well, and it was interesting. I mean, this, keep in mind, this hearing was, was called by Richard Blumenthal, the senator from Connecticut, the Democrat from Connecticut, and Ron Johnson, who's the Republican from Wisconsin. He's the ranking member on the committee. Ron Johnson was clearly on the PGA Tour side in all this. And I found it's, it interesting. It, it, that- seemed, it seemed like Ron Johnson wants that, that vacant policy board seat on the PGA Tour. He knew Wyndham <laughs> Clark won the U.S. Open. He knew he knew some of the tournaments. He knew the financial Does that impact. qualify you for the board? Jesus, all right. I mean, <laughs> all you really- need... All, all you need to do is, is be a public figure with a with a vested interest in the game. It seemed like Ron Johnson was 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 lobbying very hard.
Uh, no, and I think Rand Paul, and it, it split down party lines. I think Rand Paul probably was the, the most vocal person when it came to this, that the Senate has no constitutional power to get involved with professional golf or, or any sport for that matter. And so they, I think his, his line was it was a show trial of a private organization. So you can see how these things are split. But I will say that it, it, what Ron Johnson came back to was your point. Let's let them finish this up in private. These deals are hard. And having to do it under this much scrutiny makes it only that much more difficult. Let's let them finish it up. And then Congress and the DOJ and everyone else can dig in and and get their piece of the pie and decide, okay, we like this or we don't like this. Can you imagine, Rex, being a political reporter, have to deal with this political grandstanding every single day? There is is no way I would survive six months of this, let alone – six or 16 years it's an it was insane i was i was bashing my head against the computer listening to this the the uh, the just the, the 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 grandstanding the um kind of sanctimonious attitude the 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 interrupting the the performative aspects oh it was just absolutely PGA, brutal. pga tour series china oh my God, I kept coming back just, to that one it was just brutal to listen to and it, it, like, I'm an—I would call myself an apolitical person, um, but, but but having to listen to that day in and day out um, from people who may or may not know what they're talking about, oof, God, would just be would just be absolutely brutal. Well, no, to your point, I, I actually did cover state politics in Tallahassee, and that was pretty much my very first job straight out of college. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. And to your point is you have to learn to be an expert about everything every single day. Like, and it's always changing. Today they had to show up and pretend to be experts about professional golf. But in the very next breath, you're having to be an expert about U.S. military subcontractors. And then the next day it's about Department of Justice investigations. And it just never changes. And then I I started kind of freelancing and covering FSU football games and realized that, oh, I don't have to reinvent the wheel every single day. I know football or golf or it's, whatever the sport. It's was. the toy it department. Very easy. It's the toy department, as my journalism professor at the University of Georgia, Conrad Fink, once called it. It's the toy department of the sports journalism section. Sports, oh. sports department is the toy department, uh, and I was very happy to be part of that. I don't take myself very seriously, uh, I, although this is a, obviously a very serious topic. Speaking of serious topics, Rex, is it? Here's a segue. You have finally made it to Scotland. Uh, I believe, I believe this is roughly eighteen hours uh, after you were expected to be in Scotland. Do you mind sharing? No, that's not right. It's got to be more than that. I was I was supposed to be here at eight thirty Monday morning, local time. It is now. You're recording this at eight o'clock. Seven local seven time. Uh, eight o'clock local time. Yeah. So let's just do let's make it eight to make it easy. So that's twenty four plus twelve. So thirty six hours after I should have gotten here. Mm. That and is truly four. a that's truly a tough scene. A uh, shout out Delta for getting you there safely. No, don't uh, do it. If, don't if do if it. Not if not your luggage. Uh, is your is your diamond status imperiled, uh, or are you looking at other suitors now? Uh, no, no, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the unprofessional thing of, of naming names. I don't think that's the right way to do it. it, it this added up to being f- four or five canceled flights, a lot of arguing on the phone line with the poor operators, all the operators out there I yelled at over the last two days. I am sorry. I know it's not your fault. Uh, lost luggage. So what you see me wearing today, I'll be wearing, I mean, probably through the Open Championship would be my guess if I had to guess <laughs> right off the top of my head. 
but the, the point I want to make here, and this is, I'm just going to do this very, very quickly because we've got a lot of other stuff to get to, though. If you own a company, and let's say that company makes widgets, and I, that company is called, I don't know, pick a name. I, you could go with Delta. Let's just call it Delta for that matter. And you have a very loyal customer that is a diamond customer. And, yeah, and like as high as you customer, can get. And you treat that customer as poorly as, uh, as, as, as I've been treated the last couple of days. I would imagine that's not, he's not going to be a customer any longer. Wow, is that, like a, threat? All hypotheticals? that a threat? You like all those hypotheticals? <laughs> With quote-unquote Delta? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm sad, sad to hear uh, that this relationship has been fractured. Uh, coming off a U.S. Open in which uh, not just the front end, but the back end uh, featured canceled flights as well. I don't know what's going on. Uh, with the with with the airlines in the United States, I'm fearful. I do I do have a direct flight to uh, to Manchester uh, next Sunday night. I, I mean that that should that should not pose any any troubles. Uh, but who can say for sure? Uh, I'm a little bit hesitant. Uh, we're flying to Banff uh, in early August uh, for a big family vacation. That one could certainly be imperiled. I have like four stops uh, for the Solheim Cup trip uh, to uh, Malaga, Spain. There is zero chance. Uh, that yeah, that one that. Uh, comes to fruition. I think I'm supposed to get there Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they pl- they start play on Friday. Uh, I think I'll be rolling in straight from the airport, uh, straight to the first tee of the Solheim Cup. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm anticipating. But I'm hoping, hopeful, Rex, that in a month's time, uh, the airline industry can certainly shake itself out. Uh, speaking of the Solheim Cup, I'm assuming you did not see Allison Corpus, uh, the 25-year-old Hawaiian, uh, who the, the week began with kind of the celebration of Michelle Wee, uh, and it's Allison Corpus, uh, who, who grew up kind of idolizing Michelle Wee and what she had done in the state of Hawaii, uh, winning the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach. She kind of snuffed all the drama out of that championship and moved to her to world number six, first major championship, first victory on the LPGA. Uh, uh, a very, very impressive performance. I don't think you watched that, so I will not grill you on that. Over on the PJ Tour, of course, yeah. Sepp Straka, proud Georgia Bulldog, go dogs. Uh, dog's hat is over here somewhere. Uh, he 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 nearly wrecks. He really he nearly flirt, uh, frittered away everything here. He 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 blew his chance at a fifty nine. He almost he almost blew the title at the John Deere, and he almost blew kind of getting thrust into the Ryder Cup picture. And said Sepp Straka's sixty two was enough to win the John Deere Classic by two shots. It does move him into the top thirty. It does make him uh, now a, a virtual lock. Uh, to reach the tour championship, provided that he continues to play well in the FedEx Cup playoffs. And it does put him on the radar for Captain Luke Donald on that European squad. What was your takeaway from the deer, Sepp Straka, and anything else going on over in Silvas? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, going into the weekend, I, I, I had a feeling. So I was, I was watching Cam Young because I'm thinking, you know what, he's, he's finally going to do it. Like, of course, this would be the event where he, did, he, where he does it and there's not a lot going on. And then your boy Ludwig. Ludwig? Ludwig. 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 He, want, he wants to go by Ludwig. Ludwig. So I got it right. All right. By accident. Aberg. Uh, put himself right there in it. I mean, it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. Uh, but but everything pointed to Sepp. And I, I think it is impressive. I think we brought we were having this Ryder Cup conversation a few weeks ago. And you brought up Sepp. And I, I, I almost probably rolled my eyes just because, first off, he's he's going to be the first Georgia Bulldog that dominates the Ryder Cup for the Europeans, which is going to be amazing. And Mark Schleyball is not, <laughs> never going to be able to survive that Ryder cup the way he's such a Georgia Homer. And the other thing is, is you just, I just don't see him in that context. I mean, he's, he's been 
played college golf in the United States and he's been on the PGA tour for so long. It's, I mean, I think the only time I've ever looked at him in the, that context was in Japan during the Olympics and it dawned on me that, Oh no, he's not. He's he has a Southern else. accent. He's going to be the only one in the European Ryder cup team room that has a Southern accent. He's going to need sub, uh, subtitles. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> but like, you, you've, I think I, I remember that podcast. You did roll your eyes at the idea of Seb Straka. You certainly rolled your eyes at the idea of Ludwig Aberg making that team. You and I still roll my eyes on that one. You and I did a draft. Uh, you said that Ludwig Aberg uh, did not win enough. Your exact quote was Ludwig Aberg does not win enough. Literally, all he has done since then is win, won the Ben Hogan Award, became the first since John Rahm uh, to win two Ben Hogan Awards as a top player. He won the Haskins Award. As a top player, he was number one in PGA right. Tour University. He now has his tour card. Uh, winning tournaments. Year winning tournaments. I'm not talking. Yet. Yes, he Come won. On. You know what I was saying. He won regional tournaments. He won conference championships. Uh, he I has roll. done it all. All he's done since he got in the PGA Tour racks is finished inside the top 25. Uh, the Don, John Deere uh, uh, illustrated his best performance to date. Final round 63, tied for fourth. How seriously are you taking the 23-year-old's chances of being a pick for that team? I mean, I think when we look at the team, we did this for the U.S. team last week. We should probably start doing it for the European team right now. I mean, I think Luke's going to have to color outside the lines because I think the mm-hmm. argument I made for Zach Johnson in the U.S. team was if you kind of went one through 12, I think Luke was going – I mean, I think Zach was going to be pretty happy with that team. It's not, that's not the case when it comes to Luke Donald. So I think outside of your Rory's and your Rom's, and there's going to be you know, a couple where he can go back to and, okay, immediately, you know, Victor Hovland, he's going to be on that team. But after that, you know, the last, let's say the second half of the roster, you know, seven through 12, I think he's going to have to be a little bit more experimental. And this is probably a good place for him to do it. You have a player that's showing up that's clearly in good form. And you have a player that you could probably pair him with, pair him with a couple of different guys. So I like his chances. Uh, I like his chances as well. When you look at that European Ryder Cup team, all right, here's, here's, the, here's the locks, either through automatic qualification or just kind of no-brainer captain's picks it's rory it's rom it's hovland fitzpatrick hatton fleetwood lowry and rose that's eight the way adrian adrian moronk uh, who's in the field this week at the scottish open has played uh i think he's a safe bet for that team as well that's nine of the 12 spots that are accounted for this is now kind of the territory where you could you could take some chances um you could you could you could have some flyers you could have Veteran presences, you could have kind of like a, a Alex Noren. Uh, you could go with Erasmus Hoygaard, who uh, erased a six-shot deficit on Sunday to win in Denmark. Uh, he, of course, is the more established Hoygaard twin. I don't know if you need to put his twin brother Nikolai on the team to kind of make him whole or whether you trust him to kind of go solo. He's clearly a good enough player. He's ranked inside the top 100 in the world ranking. I don't think he is necessarily uh, dependent on being paired with his brother, then you have a Sepp Straka. Uh, Yannick Paul right now uh, is in, in, in position with a couple months remaining to nab one of those automatic qualifier spots. I think Ludwig Aberg, quite honestly, uh, makes, makes a ton of sense for this team. I don't even necessarily think it's that much of a flyer. I mean, he is a, he's a birdie machine. He's 23 years old. It's not like you're, you're looking at a 19-year-old kid. Uh, who's just kind of getting his feet wet professionally. Uh, he's, he's very mature. He's turned heads with literally everyone he has played with, from Luke Donald to any prospective Ryder Cupper, uh, even Cameron Young on the U.S. side, who, who had an opportunity to play with him a couple of weeks ago, uh, was, was thoroughly impressed. 
I actually an- anticipate that Ludwig Aberg is going to be on this European Ryder Cup team. I think it's a, I think it'd be a great pick. And I don't even think he's necessarily a player that you're just kind of stashing on the bench and hope that he, that he plays one or two sessions. Uh, I think if his play continues to be as toward as it is, uh, I, I think you could trot him out there for three or four. I mean, we'll see. It's certainly going to be the case. And look, I don't know that he has the luxury of being able to hide a bunch of guys because the way this is going to shape up, he's going to have to put these guys. I mean, the Hogards would be the primary example. Like, you'd love to give them a chance to sort of ease their way into their first Ryder Cup, but I don't think Luke doesn't have that luxury. I think just the makeup of the team, the way Liv Goff sort of fractured what he had, I think it's going to force him to be a little bit more aggressive than he wanted to be, and that might not be a bad thing. I mean, he's got, he's got eight dudes. He's got he's got eight. He might dudes have nine could, dudes to your to your point. I, I think Moronk would probably be a, a ninth dude. Yeah, but he's when I say when I say he's got eight dudes, he's got eight dudes who are who are proven, who are cha- championship caliber players. Uh, who What's have, the difference uh, between a dude and a stud? If we're going to break it down, so like he's probably stud, only got two stud, or three I think studs. Is based more on potential. Oh, dudes. I was going to go he's, the other way. He's got eight dudes that he could absolutely roll with. Uh, no, no questions asked. Doesn't have any hesitation in doing so. You know what you're going to get with a Shane Lowry or a Justin Rose or a Tommy Fleetwood, right? Like, there's no, there's no babysitting those guys. They know how to conduct themselves. A, a Ludwig Gaber is probably going to be a little bit wide-eyed, right? In in that certain scenario, but he'd he'd be a stud. He'd be a guy who I'd want to roll with, who I would want to stake my claim to. If I'm going to go down, I want to have my absolute best talented, most talented players on that roster and Ludwig Aberg would be among them. If, if, a if, a if a Bobby McIntyre uh, can, can kind of catch fire over these next couple of months, a former winner at Marco Simone, uh, I think that would be a, a great fit for captain Luke Donald as well. Rex, uh, speaking of I the got a great idea for a segment, actually, now, now that we've actually, you've gone through that, we could do like a weekly st- segment between now and Rome. You could do Ryan Labner's ride or die, Ryder cup picks. Go with it. Oh. oh, you can just do ride or die and do ride or die. Ride, like R-Y-D-E. Right. Do you That's think right. they could sell that to like Yamaha, Mitsubishi? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Now you're thinking. Hmm. Sales team, hope you're listening. Okay. Still looking for that grill sponsor as well. Uh, Rex, what did you eat uh, in your first night in Scotland, and what are you most looking forward to this week with the Scottish Open? Bunkmate reminded me because I was complaining about the food again, like I always do on my way over here. And she reminded Race me tickets. that you get you get the same thing everywhere you go. And so, of course, it's not good, but you continue to get the same thing. I got a hamburger because I needed to eat quickly and I hadn't eaten for 18 hours. And I need I need to do the podcast. I need to do a hit later on the tonight, 1030 tonight, my time for Golf Central. So I've got a lot of things going on. Uh, and But it wasn't bad. It's the, I'm staying in Gullen, which is sort of on the opposite side of North Barrack as far as the Renaissance Club, where they're playing the Scottish Open. And as you can see, it's right on the golf course. Gullen's an awesome golf course. It's a really cool track. Uh, but there's a really kind of – there's a kid's course that I got to walk across, and then it's called the Old Clubhouse. So I was there having dinner. And probably I, I told you before we came on, but it was one of the lighter moments that I've had in a couple of days now where I walked in, and there was a group of PGA Tour officials sitting at one table. And I had to do a double take and out loud to everyone in the bar, that is a glum-looking group right there. Could be worse. As I said earlier, they could have been on Capitol Hill getting absolutely grilled about PJ Tour China. Uh, as of right now, 8 p.m. in Scotland, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and Skyly, uh, Smiley Kaufman are playing my favorite course in the world, Barrick. North Berwick. 
that just absolutely makes me incredibly depressed. Where are you hoping to tee it up in Eric. the next week and a half? Barrick, uh, hopefully I can play Gullen. And then uh, we have a colleague of ours at SI, Bob Herrick. He wants to play. There's another course on the other side of North Barrick and Barrick. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. But uh, he's heard really good things. So I'm going to try to get a couple rounds in this week if I get my club. So, you know. Sounds very uh, TBD as it pertains to Delta. Shout out to uh, Tina and Jason who got me fit for a new set of Titleist irons. They just arrived. My God, they're absolutely beautiful uh, to the point that I'm actually afraid to take them out of the packaging. I am going to play on Friday and then we'll reassess at, at that point whether I'm going to be bringing my clubs to England. Not sure with the time crunch whether we'll have time to do so. Uh, fingers crossed. However, it is my favorite week of the year. I know everyone says, can't wait to get to Augusta. Uh, but as the saying goes, can't wait to get there. Can't wait to leave. Can't wait when to it leave. Comes, when it comes to the Open Championship, that is a trip that I, last, that I, that I wish would last for a week or two. It's absolutely my favorite week of the year. You and I uh, staying in a two-bedroom flat about a mile from the golf course, walking to and fro Royal Liverpool, Royal Lake, uh, arguably the best course on the open road. I can't wait. Uh, the forecast is calling for significant rains. Uh, so perhaps I'll be stocking up uh, on some Gore-Tex shoes, uh, which I've been meaning to invest in. So uh, I was... Up. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, it's interesting. I will point out, I did not have faith that my luggage was going to make it based on what was happening. So this time around, I actually did pack like a couple extra items just in case. So I, I will survive. You guys will see me still wearing this for the next couple of days. But the one thing that did go in the carry on were the, were the slicks. The rain slicks had to come along because it's going to be a very wet and wild few weeks. Buddy, need you in a foot joy sponsored Buddy. slick, my friend. Uh, make sure make sure you check Rex. Uh, he'll be doing the tournament interviews from a Jensen Scottish Open on the PGA Tour. It'll be on Golf Channel. Also, his hits will be on Golf Central and Golf Today. I'm assuming have not checked the broadcast times, but it is this this Rex in a Solheim Cup Ryder Cup year. Uh, that's going to be number one for me. This is like the second best fortnight of the year. Coffee golf season, Scottish Open leading into the Open Championship, like the absolute best time of year. At this point, we're we're downhill to the FedEx Cup playoffs, and then football season, barbecue season. It's, it's the most wonderful time of year. This is the last month without any kind of football in it. When I, I saw that on Twitter the other day, and it made me smile so much. Uh, we are, we're making some preparations uh, over here at the Labner household with football season upon us. Uh, just got some new flags to hang in the outdoor kitchen, both the Jaguars, which we have season tickets this year, uh, as well as the Georgia Bulldog flag uh, will be going up above the entry. Uh, obviously, you know that my offset smoker uh, is due to arrive, thanks to Chris Gentry, uh, in late August. Can't wait to get that. Uh, today was Amazon Prime Day, which I'm sure Bunk is well aware of, and so uh, we're, we're making some purchases there, uh, potentially a wood rack, reaching out to folks on Facebook Marketplace to stockpile uh, some oak and hickory. Uh, so it has been big happenings in the Lavender household, making sure that everything uh, is ready to go for football season. We'll be dialing in the recipes, trust me after the Open Championship with a couple weeks to spare before the FedEx Cup playoffs. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Make sure you check them out at the Scottish Open. We will be reunited in the flat in England next week. We'll be doing the preview podcast, as we always do, as well as the mini pods after each and every tournament round of the Open Championship. The Open Championship, by the way, heading to Birkdale in 2026, as it was announced on Tuesday. All right, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you guys next week.